Destiny Church 217 podcast. Today we're hearing from Pastor Eric, Senior Leader of Destiny Church. In this message, Pastor Eric shares a teaching about the importance of using the Word of God as the standard for our worldview. Following the message, take a look at the episode description where you can find scripture references as well as helpful links to learn more about the ministry of Destiny Church. Today's message is entitled Lipstick on a Pig. And uh, let's get started. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace towards us. Thank you for your patience with us. Thank you for truth and thank you for life. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. You come, you come to church to get the truth because there's a lot out there that's not the truth, right? I mean, just turn on the news Turn on some pundit. Everyone has an agenda. And I just like the fact that I just get to say what's in here. And if anyone ever has an issue, which I've had it in the past, I say, listen, don't, don't kill the messenger. Talk to the one who wrote it. You know what I'm saying? And so that's, that's the beauty of coming together um, as disciples, as apprentices of Jesus. Uh, for today's message, lipstick on a pig. Uh, you can put lipstick on a pig, but it's still a pig. So the, what's the point, Pastor? Well, the point is this. If it's a big, fat, ugly lie, and you try to dress it up, it's still a big, fat, ugly lie, regardless of how pretty you try to make it. And so our text for this morning, I encourage you to turn there or write it down and, and emblazon it on your heart as it relates to this particular topic. From Isaiah 5, verse number 20, it says this. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. There's lots of ways that we put lipstick on the pig. We have a truth but then we somehow want to make the truth more appealing or less abrasive, and so we put, we put lipstick on it. And I have a little lipstick here. This is not my own lipstick. This is my wife's lipstick. Uh, and uh, it's a pretty color. And uh, I'm not putting any on, so just take, take, take a deep breath. But no matter how ugly something is, whatever it is, when you try to dress it up, it's still pretty darn ugly. Well, I don't feel, right? There may be a reality, there may be a truth from the word of God. We say, I, I don't feel that's like my truth, right? That's like saying I don't feel like I'm a man. I identify as not having those thoughts or those feelings. And I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna maybe rattle a few cages this morning when I tell you that we try to put lipstick on things with science, We'd make arguments from science. So just hang with that for a second. We use the lipstick of emotion. And my personal life experience, you know, that hasn't been my experience, so therefore it can't be true. And what we do then is we interpret the word vis-a-vis -vis my own experience versus the reality. I never should bring my experience to the Bible to validate my experience. I should bring the Bible to my life to see what's going on and to evaluate my life. Yes or no? Yes, absolutely. 
And another one that's very popular, and I was so inclined, I was so wanting to just barrage you with statistics this morning to make my point, but then I would be defeating my own point, which is we use statistics to prove points that aren't really the truth. I'll try that again. We see people all the time trying to prove their point using statistics and they're fabricated or they're skewed in such a way to make us think that they're telling us the truth. Science, by its own admission, is evolving. That's why they call it the theory of evolution, the theory of evolving, meaning it's always changing. Follow the science. Well, I'd rather follow the Lord I said, I'd rather follow the word of God than follow science. You know why? Because we're still not putting leeches on bodies down at the hospital to try to suck out blood. Why? Because science has changed. Science has changed. Facts. Going to give you facts. Put them on a whiteboard. Going to show you all the facts as to Well, the thing about facts are, unless they're anchored to a truth, you can make the fact anything you want. What do I mean? 3.7 miles. There, there's a fact. Doesn't mean anything until you know the reality of what? Where you are. Where's the closest gas station? Well, now... You still, until, that's why you go to the mall or you go to a place and there's this huge map under glass and you walk up to it, what's the, before you look for the place that you're looking for, that restaurant or that clothing store or that novelty store, whatever you're looking at in a mall or whatever, what's the first thing you do? You gotta find out where you are. That's the immovable reality. Someone can come up to you and say, oh, it's, it's 37 paces that way. Well, unless you know where you are, you have no idea about that fact, whether that fact is even true. So you have something that's immovable. Statistics, always manipulated. I'm always suspect of statistics. I don't know if you follow the uh, stock market at all. I had a really bad week last week. At one point, it was down three, four, 500 points. It was crazy. One of the bellwethers that are interesting to me, at least, is uh, the price point, the spot price of silver. And this may be a moot point to you, but it's, 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 it's interesting, and it applies to what I'm talking about. I have actually an alert on my phone so that I know what's going, it's, it's really kind of crazy, and it's, it's just fun for me. Oh no, the price of silver has dropped dramatically, and they showed me this chart and price of an ounce of silver dropped from $23.09 to $22.28. It fell 81 cents last week in one day. Panic. The statistics, oh no, the bottom is falling out of silver. Well, let's draw back a little bit and let's look at the last four years. On March 19th, 2020, not even four years ago, the price of silver was $12.28 an ounce. So $12.28 an ounce versus $23.09 an ounce, almost twice as much. It's doubled in the last three and a half years. But they were making you feel like, oh no, the sky is falling through their statistic. Lipstick, in our analogy today, is simply the man-made cover-up for reality. So, 
instead of things that can be manipulated or contrived or, oh, what's the word when politicians rearrange their district? Gerrymandering. There's still the same number of people there, but we're gonna draw the lines in such a way that it's to my advantage. Isn't that what they do? I'm, I'm, I'm receiving nods from people that know. So as legitimate Christians, and that's my new phrase, I rarely say Christians anymore because everyone says I'm a Christian. I say legit, too legit to quit. <laughs> Christians, authentic Christians, biblical Christians, apprentices, that's us, right? Yeah, that's us, right? Okay. So we say what? We say that our life, our opinions, our convictions, what? They're not for sale. We as legit Christians stand on the immovable rock, that thing that doesn't roll, the word of God. And we have great precedents. I'm gonna give you a couple of examples. You could probably think of a lot more, but let's start with Daniel. What was Daniel's circumstance? Daniel said, well, he's working in a foreign land under a foreign God. He's not a very nice guy. And, and there's problems against uh, what Daniel stands for. And that's God, the Lord God, Jehovah. And so they make this law that says you can't pray. And of course, Daniel prayed every day. He went up into his window by, in, his, in his loft apartment and he prayed every day. And so they made a law that says you can't pray. And if you do pray, it's, it, it, it is a capital offense, meaning that we will kill you if you pray. So what did Daniel do? He went home and he prayed. Listen, he deliberately disobeyed the law so he could continue to obey God. He continued to pray. Same time period, we have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego also in the Babylonian captivity. They were told you've got to bow down and you've got to worship this golden idol of Nebuchadnezzar. Whenever the music plays, bow down. Well, the music started to play and they decided we're not going to worship this foreign God. We're not gonna worship the image of Nebuchadnezzar. We're gonna worship the one true God. But that also was a law that had a capital offense associated with it, that if you didn't worship God the way that it was prescribed that you, or worship Nebuchadnezzar the way that they prescribed that you should, that you would be what? Thrown into the fiery furnace. Not just a regular furnace, but a furnace that had been heated seven times hotter thrown in, and of course we know how the story goes, the guys that threw him in, they got burned up, and then their bands got burned off, the king looks into the furnace, and what does he say? There's a fourth man in the fire. Someone like unto the Son of God is in the fire. What happened? They stood against the regime, disobeyed the law, they continued to pray. Now, Daniel three, when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the lyre, all kinds of music. You are to fall down and worship the image that I have made. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown to the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. Verse 18, one of my most favorite verses. But even if he does not, well, there's no faith there. I think that takes a lot of faith. I think that takes a whole lot of faith. And by the way, King, even if he doesn't, we want you to know he still is God. But we are going to deny 
we are going to disobey your commandment. Choose. They chose to deliberately disobey. One that gets overlooked a little bit more often is uh, way back in the book of Exodus, the midwives during, of course, midwife, midwife, midwifery. That's what it's called, midwifery. I am correct on that. I know someone who had done midwifery. It's midwifery. It's where you don't go to the hospital. You have a midwife. Hannah has babies at home regularly. And uh, <laughs> she, she, has a mid, she has a midwife. She's going to be popping another one out here in a couple weeks. And she has a midwife. So you don't go to the hospital. Uh, they come and, and they, uh, they, they catch the kid. And um, that's what happened back in the day. They didn't go to the hospital. They had midwives, the Jewish midwives. And in Exodus chapter one, verse 17, the midwives, however, instead of doing what they were commanded to do, what were they commanded to do? Let's not rehearse the whole thing, but you understand that the, the Jews were being persecuted by Pharaoh and they said, listen, kill all the babies. There's way too many Jews. Kill all the Jewish babies. So the midwives said this in Exodus 1, 17. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt told them to do uh, they let the boys live. They said to, the, they said to Pharaoh, oh, man, these, these Jewish women, man, they pop them out so fast, we don't even have a chance when, before, we, before we get there. But what they did, listen, the, the Jewish midwives consciously disobeyed the law because there was a law that was higher than this law. Is anybody tracking with me yet? Okay, all right. Have you been to Branson? Anybody been to Branson? Have you seen the latest sound and sight theater presentation of Esther? Oh man, if, you, if it's worth the five hour drive to get down there to watch it. I'm not that guy, but where this is concerned, it's amazing. Well, if you don't know the book of Esther, Esther was a Jewish young woman who got herself in a situation that she needed to present herself to the king, but she wasn't allowed to go present herself to the king because the law said, unless the king asked for you to come into his presence, you would be killed or he would have the prerogative to have you killed because you arrived uninvited. And this, this, this applied to the queen. But there was a problem. There was a decree that all the Jews should be killed, and she was a Jew. She needed to go in and make a case that that shouldn't be, and so she disobeyed a royal command, and she went in to see the king unannounced and uninvited. She disobeyed the royal command. Esther 5, verse 1. On the third day, Esther put on the royal robes, and she stood in the inner court of the palace in front of the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the hall, facing the entrance. When he saw Queen Esther standing in the court, dot, 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 oh, he was pleased. Good, good. He was pleased with her and held out to her his golden scepter, which meant, come on, come on in. So Esther approached, touched the tip of the scepter, and you know the rest of the story. But it all happened because she deliberately disobeyed the law. Fast forward into the New Testament, you have the apostles who were vigorously preaching the gospel in the city of Jerusalem. The Sanhedrin, the scribes, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees didn't like that these apostles who were followers of Jesus, these real Christians, these apprentices of Jehovah in the flesh, Jesus, were out making a ruckus in the city and they got him arrested and they hauled him in and they beat the you-know-what out of him and said, listen, we command you, do not preach about this Jesus again. Acts chapter five, verse 29. 
Peter and the apostles, after they were beaten and returned back to their friends, they said this, we must obey God rather than men. They chose to deliberately disobey. Uh, We're not from the East Coast, so this may not be, we're Lincolnites, right? We know all about Lincoln. But if you lived out, out, out in Pennsylvania, you would probably know about a man by the name of William Penn. In the 1860s, this is a very interesting story. William Penn um, was a Quaker, uh, religious persecution in uh, England at the time. Uh, by the way, Devin, this is an historical example. We were talking about preaching this week, <laughs> talking about examples. This is such a wonderful example because William Penn's dad was owed a bunch of money by the king of England. And so to get William Penn's dad off his back, the king of England signed over Pennsylvania, the area of Pennsylvania, which came to be known as Pennsylvania, William Penn, wasn't Pennsylvania, just this big land mass on the coast of a country the king hadn't been to. He said, listen, to settle the debt I have with your dad, here, here's a deed to a bunch of land I've never seen. So William Penn got on a boat, came to America, and founded Pennsylvania based on the idea of religious freedom because of the persecution that he suffered in England being a Quaker that he was. He said this, those who will not be governed by God will be ruled by tyrants because he knew he was under tyranny. He was in England. This is, this is nearly 100 years before the Civil War begins. He was very instrumental in the colonization of Pennsylvania and of Delaware, but he said, I'm going, I'm gonna be free, I'm gonna go there because of the land I live in now, it's just overrun with tyranny. The king is telling us to do all kinds of stuff that's not right, and there was persecution, so he left, and he said, those who will not be governed by God will be ruled by tyrants. 100 years later, One of our forefathers, Thomas Jefferson, a primary author of the Declaration of Independence, wrote this in 1776. Rebellion to tyrants is obedience to God. That's one of your founding fathers who wrote the Constitution who gave you the right to carry a weapon and to speak your mind. Not so that you could go hunt. By the way, the Second Amendment is not so you can go hunt. The Second Amendment is so you can defend yourself against a tyrannical government. That's why there's a second amendment. This man wrote it and he said, rebellion against tyranny is actually obedience. to Have I not rehearsed Abraham, or excuse me, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, the Jewish midwives? I've, I've given you a whole host of examples. Thomas Jefferson writes this. He says, listen, rebellion against tyrants is obedience to God. And that goes right to the heart of Romans 13. And I'm not going to unpack the suitcase of Romans 13 where you obey your government because that has everything to do with a government making righteous decisions, not unrighteous decisions. Well, that seems all a little suspect. Well, let's rewind all the way back to the second century. Aurelius Augustinus Hipponesis, we know him as Saint Augustine of Hippo, 
St. Augustine, Northern Africa. Have you ever heard of St. Augustine? St. Augustine, Florida? Anybody? Okay, <laughs> Florida. Now we all know what we're talking about. St. Augustine, the philosopher, the theologian of the second century, he said this, an unjust law is no law at all. In other words, if a tyrant makes an unjust law, that's not, that, doesn't, that does not apply to you. I'm not talking about something you don't like. Like, I don't like wearing my seatbelt sometimes. Yes, I know it's safe. I know I should probably wear it. It might save my life. I'm not talking about opinion things. I'm talking about things that have to do contrary to the word of God. Are you, are you with me? Well, I don't like that law. I don't like, it has nothing to do with your feeling, your emotion, statistics. It has to do with this right here. Yes? Okay, you seem like you're not quite climbed all the way in the boat with me yet, but we'll get you there. You can quote me on this. Real Christians don't need lipstick. Why? Because we have this, the Bible. It's our anchor. The Bible is our anchor in the time of storm. What else is the word of God to us? Well, besides an anchor, it's, a, it's described as a lighthouse. What does that mean? Well, it's dark outside. We're in a foreign land. It's a rocky terrain. We need to know where to sail the ship of our lives. And if we don't have the lighthouse, we will crash our lives. It's known as the North Star when we don't know which way to go. It's the cornerstone. It's our armor in time of battle. It's living water when we're in the desert. It's the bread of life when we need our strength. The psalmist says that this immovable word of God is like a lamp unto my feet. It shows me where to go. Using anything from emotions, this is where we're headed. This is the point. Using anything from our emotion, from statistics on down, anything other than the word of God for a reason or a rationale that we as bona fide, authentic Christians it's just simply mental gymnastics. It's the equivalent of putting lipstick on a pig. So your opinion, it may look like a sweet gal. It may look like, oh, she's beautiful. She, oh, man, she's beautiful to your friends, to you, your parents. Everybody agrees, your boss, but she's still a hoe. She's still a big, fat sow of a pig. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You may have convinced everyone she's not. But when you hold up the mirror of the word of God to that, to that opinion that you have, whatever that opinion might be, if it doesn't align with this, you're sleeping with a hoe. You've done some mental gymnastics to make you feel better about what it is that you're doing. Gosh, aren't you so glad you came today? This is so, so good. Because when you put a lipstick on a pig, you still have a pig. I was looking for a place to use the pig emoji, and that is an appropriate place to use the pig emoji. So that's the God's honest truth, right? Yes, are you with me now? Are you squarely in the boat that the word of God is what we command we are to live our lives by? So we apply this then to what? Well, our personal philosophies, our mindsets, 
our belief systems, our perspective on life, the matrix that we use to go through life, our paradigm. Why? Because we use a real Christian view, a real Christian worldview. I don't have an American worldview. I am an American. I don't have a white person worldview, though I am white. I don't have, I don't, I, I don't have a middle class perspective. No, I need to have a, a biblical worldview. So let's cut out the mental gymnastics and just let's, let's pick an example of how this happens sometimes. And this may upset some of you. And I'm not intentionally wanting to upset anyone. I'm just gonna show you how it works. When we apply mental gymnastics against the word of God and we're gonna pick the topic of abortion. So let's put up my little diagram that I made. I don't know if you can read that or not, but it says this, and and this is what I wrote. Under the pro-abortion mental gymnastic, it says babies aren't really humans. Then it says, well, they're just clumps of cells. They're like a parasite or a tumor. Have you heard some of these? Forget that they have a heartbeat. Oh, bodily autonomy, but just for my body, not for their little bodies. So pro-lifers hate women, right? So there's a lot of mental gymnastics happening right there. Versus the word of God, the biblical worldview. Killing innocent babies is always wrong. Boom. Boom. No mental gymnastics. You don't need to have a bunch of, let me show you the statistics. Let me give you the facts. Right? I wanted to give you, I wanted to give you all kinds of statistics. I wanted to give you, but that's not the point. The point is, this is immovable. This is the mirror. This is the rock. This is the bellwether. The bellwether, this is how it is to be. So I'm here to help you, like it or not, with your spiritual formation. First, first to make a commitment to a life of Christ. That's where the pastor says, is there anybody here that wants to give their life to Jesus today? Boom. You may become a Christian, but you're not a disciple at that point. I'll try it again. You become a Christian, but you're not a disciple. But it says in the scripture that we should go make disciples, that we should actually find people that did more than just poly parrot a prayer, because I've told you before, I could go to the pet store, buy a little parakeet, teach it the Lord's Prayer, or teach it the, 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 the sinner's prayer, but it's not saved. The parrot's not saved. He just said a prayer. Some of you, and this is a hard word, but I want you to digest it. Some of you prayed a prayer or think you're a Christian, and you're not. Because a Christian will be a disciple someone that follows after Christ, someone that says, I have made a decision, this is who I am, and my life will reflect my decision. Because if you made a decision, then your life doesn't reflect that, you are like a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. Who was talking to me about reading James this morning? I think Nick was talking about reading James. That's in James chapter one. A double-minded man is unstable in all that he does. Says this, but does that. Well, that's no good. That's a liar. That's someone who... Um, uh, is a facade, there's a, there's a charade, there's a, the wild, wild west, the front of the stores that aren't real, they're just held up with a two by four on the back and you walk through the door and there's nothing there. That's what a lot of Christians are today. I'm looking for people that say, you know what? I need some spiritual formation. I wanna become a disciple. I wanna be known as a follower of Jesus. Will you do that when you say, this is my worldview? Because you don't get to have your own worldview and be a Christian. It just doesn't work that way. So 
I picked abortion. You could choose all kinds. I, I spoke on death last week, and I thought I might speak a few minutes on life today to help you center your life around apprenticing here is what the immovable word of God tells us. Not the moving target of statistics or emotions or charts, politicians, your parents, society, Fox News, CNN, your favorite podcaster, or even a presidential candidate. No, 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 there is an immovable truth and is called the sanctity of human life. So take your political persuasion, set it aside. Take all of the feeling and emotion you might have right now, because there's women in this room that have had, had an abortion. This is not a condemning word for you. This is not a condemning word for you. This is the reality of the, of, of the word of God, it's truth. And if you have had an abortion, then of course there's forgiveness for you. And men who have pressured women to have abortions, you are as guilty, and there, but there is forgiveness for you as well. Okay, does everybody take a deep breath now? Okay, so let's talk about this for a minute the sanctity of human life. It means that all human life is, iner- is inherently sacred, it's valuable, deserving of our respect, and everyone's protection. Everyone's protection. Not just my baby or your baby, but if you saw a baby about to be killed, you would want to intervene. Why is that? Because human life is holy. The sanctity, meaning the holiness of human life. Because human beings, number two, are unique and precious and made in the image of God. That's why. And that there is a sense of sacredness attached to all human. Not to be mistreated, not to be de- degraded. So here we go. Genesis 1.27. God created humans in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, by the way, there's only two genders, just a heads up there. Right there, in Genesis chapter one, verse 27, male and female. When you are dead for many years and your body's decomposed and an archeologist digs you up, an anthropologist, and says, they'll be able to tell you whether that was a man or a woman based on the bones of your body. Just one of two choices is all there's going to be. Psalm 139, for you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. The end of that in verse 16, your eyes saw my unformed body, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Jeremiah 1, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart, I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Luke chapter 1, I like this a lot because this is when um, Mary and Elizabeth meet and the baby inside her womb leaped. John the Baptist leaped when he came in the presence of Jesus. Exodus 20, 13 simply says, you shall not murder. Matthew 18, 10, see that you do not despise one of these little ones for I tell you, that there are angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. Well, okay, Pastor, you're wearing me out. That's a lot of scripture. Well, guess what? I'm not quoting statistics. I'm not, talking about, I'm not talking about your emotions. I'm not talking about how I feel about that. I'm not talking about what a political party thinks about that. I'm not talking about anything other than what this has to say about that. That's all. 
And if we're disciples, if we're apprentices, if we're Christians and we wanna follow the ways of the word, then this is the anchor, this is the immovable. And we have to then bring our lives to the word and say, you know, what part of my life is not lining up with what this has to say? And you may have to do some, you may have to do some mental rearranging. But don't continue, my plea, to do mental gymnastics so that you and your family and your friends can feel good about decisions that you made in the past or you're thinking about making in the future or for what, out of sympathy or whatever. All of those things are, they're, they're important and your feelings and your emotions will betray you, but they are your feelings and that's how you feel and that's, those are your emotions. But at the end of the day, this is how we are to judge our lives. That's why I just read eight or 10 scriptures to you. Not quote scripture, or not, excuse me, not quote, quote statistics. Well, the pamphlet from Planned Parenthood said, what, what? You're gonna take a pamphlet that your, your health teacher gives you in seventh grade over the word of God? Really? Come on, are you a disciple or aren't you? Are you a Christian in name only? Are you one of those social Christians? Or are you really a disciple? Are you really an apprentice? Are you really a legit, too legit to quit Christian? If you are, then this is your pamphlet. We hold these truths to be self-talking about Thomas Jefferson. He wrote this right at the front edge of the Constitution. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed, endued by their creator with certain unalienable rights. I mean, you can't forfeit them. And among them are these, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Oh, wow, what a... What a benevolent government we have that gives us the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of, that's hogwash. That's a bunch of lipstick. You have a wrong understanding of what an unalienable right is. Meaning, these are rights that you have before the American government ever was formed. Thomas Jefferson said, we hold these evidences to be, it's, it's self-evident that we have a right. We have rights before the United States government ever gave us a right. And they're un, I can't forfeit that. And it's the right to life. That's number one. The number one right we have as humans is the right to live, the right to be born. Liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Matthew 10, we'll finish here. A disciple is not above his teacher. What does that mean? That means if you follow Jesus, you're not gonna be, he says greater things, yeah, that's fine. But at the end of the day, you have to say to yourself, the disciple is not above his teacher. Here, here's the, here, comes the, here comes the application. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, meaning the leaders of the Jewish nation at the time looked in Jesus and said, this guy's of the devil. That's what they said. That's what this means. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household, meaning you and me? Meaning what? They're gonna call you all kinds of names when you become an apprentice and a real disciple. 
and you have a Christian biblical worldview and not some twisted, contorted Fox News, CNN, Democrat, Republican view. You have the word of God view, okay? So what you have to do to yourself is say, I'm gonna be prepared. If they call Jesus the Beelzebub, what are they gonna do to members of his household? I'm preparing you for battle, ladies and gentlemen. Go on, for there is nothing, so verse 26, this should be underlined, it's underlined in my Bible, verse 26. Therefore, because of that, do not fear them. Oh, man. Oh, man. You are a light bearer. You are, a, you, you are wielding the flaming sword of truth. When you walk into a dark den of demons, you're not the one who's afraid. Listen to me, you can go anywhere to the sickest, darkest, demonic place on the face of the earth and under the power and the authority of Jesus, you stand there and say, listen, man, they call Jesus, you call me whatever you want, it doesn't affect who I am because statistics and the, and the weather doesn't change who I am. This is who I am and he'll deliver me. And even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, He's still God. So hit me with your best shot. Join the ranks of the faithful who stand for the word of truth. People like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, William Wilberforce, Harriet Tudman, Martin Luther King Jr., John Bunyan, Pilgrim's Progress, Corey Ten Boom, Joan of Arc, Desmond Tutu, William Tyndale, Harriet Beecher Stowe, Nelson Mandela, Rosa Parks, John Wycliffe, John Haas, Richard Wormbrand. I mean, I could go on and on. I could go on and on. Who are these people? They're people that did not live their lives through any other worldview than that of a Christian worldview. Were they all saints? Did they all live perfect lives? Should we esteem to be them? That's not what I said. I said they had a conviction that Jesus was Lord and that was their life. And that's the way they lived their life. Did they have flaws? Yes. Do you have flaws? Yes. Do I have flaws? Yes, that's not the point. The point is you better stand for something or you'll fall for anything. You can slap a tear on a tadpole but it's still a tad underwater and underwhelming. You can put lipstick on a pig, but it's still a pig. <laughs> the next time somebody wants to convince you that going against God's word is a necessary evil, it's the culturally relevant thing to do. Just tell them this. Let's circle back to our text this morning. Isaiah chapter five, verse 20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. And if you can't remember that, remember that you can put lipstick on a pig, but it's still a pig. Stand up with me this morning, please. Father, we love you. We bless you. And Lord, there are, there are perspectives 
Okay, everybody, just for a second, look up here at me. There are perspectives that you have, that I have on life, that when the word, when the light of the word is shined upon that in our life, we have a choice at that moment to make. Either I will adjust my behavior and my thought about that thing, or I will live in rebellion. Those are your choices. And my desire as someone who helps you in your spiritual formation is that you don't live in rebellion against the word of God. That you say, this, this holds more water for me than any document, including laws that come out of Washington, D.C. I gave you lists of people that disobeyed willing. Now, didn't mean they avoided the consequences of their choices. I mean, think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Wouldn't it have been better if God just like poured a big bucket of water on the fire and they didn't have to go through that? I said, don't you think they might've thought it sure would be nice for God to pour a big bucket of water on this thing before we get thrown in there, but they still got thrown in there. So you may have to go through something. If you, if you stand with saints of old and say, this is my worldview. You may have to go through something. And I'm not, here to I'm not here to tell you that God will deliver you. I'm saying he might deliver you, but even if he doesn't deliver you, he still is God. That takes a lot of faith, ladies and gentlemen. You're gonna make it. You're gonna make it through that hard situation at home. You're gonna make it through that situation at work. You have those decisions that you have to make. Have this be the ruler, the ruler, you know, the yardstick, the canon of your life. Father, today, this is where we submit ourselves to you and your word. We appreciate statistics and science and facts and emotion, but at the end of our lives, we'll be held accountable, not because of our emotion or a fact or statistic someone gave us. You will shine our lives against the word of God. Help us, Lord, in every way where we fall short to bring our lives into agreement with you, our homes, our families, the way we raise our children, the way we treat our spouse, the way we work our job, everything about us, Lord, would be a reflection of you in us. Now, if you've never made the decision that says, yeah, I'm gonna follow Jesus, I encourage you to do that. Do it today. But then what? Become a disciple. Become a, an apprentice. Get on encounter. Go through growth track. Get connected power of connection. That's what real apprentices do. So Father, that's our desire today is to make our, sure that our lives line up with your word. Our opinions line up with your word. Our actions line up with your word. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. May we never put lipstick on something that's ugly in our lives, to dress it up and try to sell it to our friends as something beautiful. Lord, we confess, we repent, and now we stand in your presence, asking that you would lead us and guide us by your spirit. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if there's a commitment you need to make to God this morning, just lift your hand to heaven, just between you and him. Whether it's, I'm gonna follow you, or there's some changes I need to make, whatever those are, you're saying to the Lord, Father, here I am. Your word is the most important thing to me. It leads me, it guides me. 
It directs me. It's the lighthouse. It's the sword. It's the bread of life. It's the anchor. Here we are, Lord. Desperately needing to be a disciple and a follower of who you are. Lead us through this tumultuous time that I, I only can imagine what the next what the next 10 months will look like as the election comes barreling down. God, help us to have eyes to see and ears to hear and not to call things evil good or good evil. Help us, Lord, to keep the lipstick away, to talk the truth, and to be people of truth. For your glory, Lord, deliver us. Send us as emissaries, disciples, into this world to share light and love and hope through the immovable facts of your word. And now may the peace of heaven, the presence of God, the power of the Holy Spirit rest on your life, on your home and your family to lead you, to guide you so that at the end of the day, he would smile upon you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and his Holy Spirit, amen. This has been a message from Destiny Church in Springfield, Illinois. To learn more about our ministry, visit the episode description where you can find links to our website, ways to give, and more about who we are. You've been listening to the Destiny Church 217 Podcast, your place for real, relevant relationships.